It impacted my life. And then I wrote down mentors. I wrote down friends. And then I wrote down experiences. What were the 40 experiences? Now, you may think that uh, this was something that was done quickly, but it was something that took some time. And I thought about doing that on my 50th and 60th, but it took so much time to do the 40th. I've never done it since then. But it was interesting uh, to evaluate my life and a little bit of introspection in a wholesome way. And just look at my life and look at where the Lord has brought me. And in that time, about 25 years ago, I was with some uh, close pastor friends, uh, just a handful of us. And we, that week, had been talking about a whole range of topics, various things. And I shared with them uh, what I had been doing as I was approaching my, my 40th birthday. And about key decisions that had made a big impact on my life. And that kind of birthed a discussion. That's what we did. We, we laughed together. We talked about our problems, talked about good things that were happening, and just some fun things. And then we, t- we had some very serious discussions, and that, that spawned a, a very fascinating discussion on, on these key moments in different areas of our life. And all of us began to talk about that for, for several hours. And there's some, for you, there's some basic landmarks in your life, for good or bad, it's not ever neutral, that have determined where you are in life. And I would encourage you, maybe not 40 of them, but maybe top five, top 10, and just say, just limit it to that. What, what were some of the events in my life that have occurred that transformed my life, that were key to my life, uh, that were turning points in my life. It was such a significant exercise that I I came home and, and preached a message about it. And that wasn't about me. It was from the Word of God uh, when, when in Genesis chapter 12 and 13, out of Abraham's life, when he had some very foundational things that happened to him that affected the rest of his life. It's easy for me to know the top two on that list. They were then and they, they still are. They haven't changed. The first one was the day I was born again. And most of you know this because I've said it so many times, hundreds and hundreds of times uh, from this spot. On February the 18th, 1968, on yesterday... 55 years ago, 55 years ago, yesterday, I trusted Christ as my personal Savior. And I uh, <clears throat> have been kind of reveling in that all week and thinking about it. I'm, I'm sort of a sentimental person, I suppose, and uh, I don't just think about something and go on. I, I marinate in it. You know, there's a difference in a, a, a microwave and a crock pot, and I, I'm more of a crock pot type of a person. Uh, mentally, I suppose, and just think and think and stew on things. I mean that in a good way. And I, I began to think about, uh, thank the Lord for my mom. Uh, that night we had the Lord's Supper, the week before on February the 11th. And I'd always wanted to do that. I was nine years old. I was going to be 10 in May. And I, I reached out my hand to, to take some of the elements. She said, you can't do that. Of course, she whispered, said, you can't do that. And she pushed my hand away. And I watched that thing go down the row. I remember, I thought, well, there it goes. There goes my chance. And I whispered to her, why? Why can't I do that? And she said, you're not a Christian. And I told Paula this week, that was the first time in my life that I knew that I was lost. I, I thought that I was a Christian because my daddy was a deacon and daddy sang in the choir and mama taught Sunday school and they did so many other things in the church. Well... God doesn't have any grandchildren. He just has children. And for the first time in my life, I knew that I was lost and I was under conviction uh, all week long. And the next Sunday morning, um, a little afternoon, and I, I came up. Paula was upstairs yesterday. And I said, hey, Paula, did you know today is my spiritual birthday? She says, yeah, yeah, I knew about that. That's right. I said, but I said, I mean right now. I mean, right now, right this very moment, I asked the Lord to be my Savior 55, 55 years ago. 
And I thank the Lord for, for my pastor for, for teaching about the simplicity of salvation and, and, and helping my parents understand that, that uh, God doesn't have grandchildren and that everybody should not partake of the Lord's Supper, that that's for Christians and to help me know that I was lost. That's number one. But the second thing on my list has not changed either. It, it's right right up there after I was born again. And that was um, about seven years later. On July the 29th, 1975, I was going into my uh, junior year in high school. I was... Uh, uh, Actually, going into my senior year in high school, I graduated in 1976. And um, we were at a youth camp. This is why I think camp is so important. Uh, I think I put a note in your bulletin about <clears throat> we need some help for, for junior camp. We want to go to Manderley Christian Camp. Brother Dave Secura is at a new camp, and um, it's a beautiful camp. The Belchers were there last week. But uh, we need a, a couple or two, two couples perhaps, at least one, that could take our, our children there. And camps are so important. And it was at that camp on Tuesday night when I, I fully surrendered my life to the Lord as a 17-year-old boy. And everything, everything that is good and that is a blessing had his roots in those two moments in my life. When I was born again and when I surrendered my life to the Lord, it was almost two years after I, I surrendered my life to the Lord, a little over but not much, that I, I went to that little church in Dayton, Tennessee and uh, to serve. I was just doing what the Lord told me to do. And in that little church was my wife. I wasn't looking for a wife. I was obeying the will of God, but in the path of the will of God, God had a wife for me. Someone said that when, when Adam met Eve, uh, he was asleep in the will of God. And I think sometimes we get all so ramped up about, oh God, I, I need this and do this for me. And, and if you'll just fall asleep in the will of God... God, God will bring some things to you. It doesn't mean you're passive necessarily, but it, do, it, it does mean that you, you're resting. You're resting in God's plan and you're obedient, just doing what God tells you to do. H have you been born again? Are you 100% sure that if you were to die that you would go to heaven? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Are you sure of heaven? If you don't know that, it's the most important decision that you will ever make. You see, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You're not a Christian because you're a church member. You're not a Christian because you've been baptized. You're not a Christian because you've been confirmed. Or you keep the, the Ten Commandments. There are no good people. But there are forgiven people. And you need to come to the cross and meet Christ. Have you ever done that? That's where you receive life. Not religion. You receive life. The very life of Christ in you to help you. And have you ever come to God and said, God, I give all of my life, my plans, my future, my goals, I give everything that I have, I give it to you. Have you ever done that? Well, if you haven't, I hope you'll do that today because your answer to those issues, have you been born again? Have you fully surrendered your life to the Lord? We'll determine, every time we'll determine the quality of your future, whether it's good or it's bad. Well, here in Joshua chapter 3, we've been looking at, at some principles. And the one I want to look at today will, will, will center on this idea that God, God can take common people and do uncommon things. There's a song I, I listen to um, when, when I'm getting ready for church and um, a man named Rodney Griffin, who's one of my favorite songwriters, wrote it. And he sings the lead on it. And it's called uh, God Uses Common People. And I, I can't hardly listen to it without weeping. In fact, I bought the soundtrack and asked Ashley to learn it and sing it here for me a few times.
I'll look it up sometime and listen to it. God uses common people. And I think it's, it's so, so dear to me because that's my life. I'm a common man. And God can take a common person and do uncommon things through them. And we see that here in Joshua chapter 3. Would you look at it with me? Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning. We discovered that's when he spent his time with the Lord. We don't have time to review that now. And they, that is the nation of Israel, removed from Shedem and came to Jordan, the Jordan River. He and all the children of Israel, over three million of them, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, 16 times in chapters 3 and 4, 10 times in chapter 3, the word the ark is used. Uh, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the Lord, it's, it refers to the presence of God. And for us in the New Testament, this is what it means. When you see God move, when you see God telling you to do something, you need to move. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. When you, when you do what you want to do, it doesn't work. When you follow God's ways, it always works. Verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. That's from the elbow to the tip of your finger, about 18 inches. And if you calculate that, that's about 3,000 feet, over half of a mile. They were to respect God, but they were also, they all wanted those millions of people as they were in their companies, in their tribes, 12 tribes, to be able to see the ark as it moved. Because it's going to go later in the passage in the very middle of the Jordan River. Come not near, in the middle of verse 4, come not near unto it, that is the ark. Now notice it, that ye may know the way by which you must go. Uh, are you struggling with the decision today? You can know what you're supposed to do. It's in the Word of God. For you have not passed this way heretofore. Uh, we don't know the future, but God knows the future. And God says you can know the way. There's a whole song I like it. We need to sing it here sometime. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Now here's our text this morning in verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over, that is, over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Now, there are three principles, and I want to review these quickly. I'll go fast. First of all, we've looked at this principle, when we follow God's direction, we find God's best. If you want to find God's best for your life, you must follow God's direction. God's ways are always the best way, every time. Every time. Those that are seasoned, those that have been saved for a long time, they could stand here and give the best sermon on this from a life message, from their testimony, and they would tell you that God's way is the best way. When you follow His direction, you find God's best for your life, not your way, His way. The second principle from this text that we've looked at is that God will not show you your next step. He will not until you obey the light that He has given you to follow today. You know, if you want to know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow, God's not going to show that until you obey today's light. I've given you this statement, and it's true. The best way to be in the will of God tomorrow is to be in the will of God today. I found out that when I'm in the will of God today, it's because I've been in the will of God yesterday. And if you just stay in the way, just stay in the way, you'll be in the way. Stop worrying about your decisions and the quality of your decisions, and just keep your eye on the ark. Keep your eye, keep your eyes on the Word of God, listening to the Spirit of God, and God will take care of the details. You say, preacher, it's not that easy. Oh, yes, it is. It's absolutely that easy. God will not show you the next step until you obey the light that he has given you to follow today. 
And here's the principle we want to really dig deep on today. God will only do what He can do when you consecrate your life fully to Him and His purposes. God will only do what He can do when you consecrate your life fully to Him and His purpose. Here's why that's important. Because where God is leading you, the will of God is always more than what you can do. Always. Always. Now, it may not be preaching. It may not be a missionary. But marriage is always more than what you think it is. Parenting is always more than what you think it is. You fill in the blank. On this side of the equation, you say, oh, oh, I can handle that. But it's always more. And God will give you more that you can handle so that you will press into Him. And you're gonna, you're, there's going to come a time in your life, and, and not just a time, many times when you need what God can do. But God will only do what He can do when you consecrate your life fully to Him as a person and to His assignment for your life. Now, we see that in verse 5, Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. And there's a promise here. Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves. There it is. Sanctify has the idea of consecrate. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I want to emphasize a couple of those words and then give you some practical ideas here. The word sanctify means to set something apart from sin and unto God. Uh, You can sanctify your children. I told you uh, last week that we had sanctified our children. It means to consecrate, uh, uh, to dedicate them. It means they belong to God. It means you take your hands off of them. Uh, You sanctify your future. You give that to God. It does not belong to God. The Bible says in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I I will build my church. He said he will. This church doesn't belong to the pastor. It doesn't belong to leaders. It belongs to him. The church is is Christ peculiarly. It doesn't belong to any individual. That's a wonderful thing. It, It is sanctity. It's holy. It's sanctified unto him. God will take care of it. That's what the word sanctify in general means. But I want you to notice there in verse 5, it says to sanctify ourselves. And stay with me, this is important. When you trusted Christ, if you are a Christian, you have been sanctified positionally. The moment you came to Christ, God sanctified you. He sanctified you positionally and declared you holy, a unique position as unto Himself. Not just as a child of God, but you are declared to be a saint. You're declared holy. Now, sometimes our practice does not meet our position. But every person that is a Christian that loves Christ, the Bible says that you have a position from which that you can live out of. And that is a position of sanctification. You know, the... The church at Corinth is known from uh, being the most carnal church in the New Testament. The word carnal means fleshly. They were divisive. They had a lot of trouble. There's a church, uh, sometimes I'll drive by it, and it's not named after the town. But you know what the name of the church is? Corinth Baptist Church. Now, I'm sure they have a reason for it. I I don't want to be hypocritical here. But I always kind of laugh about it. I say, of all the names uh, to name a church, I, I don't know that I would pick carnal. Uh, carnal. Well, that's what it is, really. It's what the, you think about it. Now, they have, probably have a good reason. I, I heard about a church that, uh, this is a true story. It was called Harmony Baptist Church. And they split, the church split. And the, the, the group that split, they started a church down the road, and it was called New Harmony Baptist Church. I don't know about that either. You know, I don't know about going to that new harmony. I don't know if I want any of that either. And the Bible here says to sanctify ourselves. And it says about the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, 
It says, watch this, they were sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. These people that were not living out of their position, they were sanctified and they were called to be saints. You know, you look at Lot's life in, in the book of Genesis, and there's not a lot of evidence that he was a Christian. But you say, well, preacher, how do you know he was, he was saved? I know for two reasons. Two times in, in the Bible, in Second Peter chapter 2, the Bible says that he's justified. It calls him just Lot. He was justified. And the second reason I know, that's enough for me, but here, here's how I know. Is it says is, is that he vexed his righteous soul by what he saw and what he heard. You see, you don't know how Lot fell when he pillowed his head at night in his righteous soul. He had a righteous soul. And you be careful about saying, oh, oh they're not a Christian. And you be careful about saying, oh, oh they're a Christian. I think it was John Newton that said this. He said, when I get to heaven, there will be three wonders. He said, I, I will wonder at the people there that are saved that I didn't think were saved. And then I'm going to wonder at the people that I thought were saved, but they're not. And he said, the third wonder is that I'm there. That doesn't mean you can't know that you're saved, but oh, the, the, the gift of God. I, I've given up that stuff a long time ago, figuring out who, who the goats and the sheep are. My job is to feed, feed the lambs. But I'm telling you, if you're, if you're a Christian, you cannot sin and enjoy it. That's what the Bible says. The most, the most miserable person is not a lost person. It's, it's a Christian that's away from God because of, of their soul. The Bible says there in Joshua 3 that we're to sanctify ourselves. Have you ever sanctified yourselves? You see, here's what it means. It means that I'm acknowledging, watch this, I'm acknowledging my positional sanctification, that I belong to God. And when I have this awareness, it, it, it leads me to the place that God has a claim on my life. And because He has a claim on my life, I give Him everything that I have. Because He has redeemed me, because He paid a, a lofty price for me that has ever been paid. And that I will give my life to him. That's what Paul asked us to do in Romans 12. When I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want you to notice what the verse is. I beseech you therefore brethren. He's asking Christians. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God because of the goodness of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present means a one-time presentation that, I, Lord, I'm giving you my entire life, my entire body, everything that I have, I'm giving it to you, a living sacrifice. But you know what I found? The problem with the living sacrifice is they can get off the altar. And sometimes after you make that one-time presentation, there needs to be daily surrenders along the way. Someone once said, backsliding is not a blowout, it's a slow leak. And you have to come back and say, God, I, 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 I renew my life to you. you. You are my Savior, you're my Lord, you're my Master, I give you everything. The Bible there says to sanctify yourself. And then it says, and tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now we, we've spoken of this, I want to drill down on it today. God promises to do special things for those, listen, for those that sanctify themselves. Now, what's it? Are you with me? God sanctifies you, but now He's asking you to sanctify yourself. God cannot make you give yourself to Him. Now, if you're a Christian, God has sanctified you, and, he, and you'll be miserable if you don't, but it's up to you to sanctify yourself because God will not do what He can do for you, and you're going to need that. One day your baby's going to have a fever, and the doctor's going to come in and say, we've done all we can do. The next 12 hours are important. 
And you're going to pull your cell phone out and you're going to say, Where, where's the pastor's number? And where, where's he at? He, he won't answer my text. Where, but I need somebody that can pray. Well, you can pray. But you know you can't pray because you're not sanctified. And you're going to get mad at people because they're not helping you because you're away from God. Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders for you. The, the word wonders there, we get the word wonderful from it. it. It means things that are difficult, things that are distinguished from common things. It means uncommon things. God will do uncommon. It's not every day that God, as you know the narrative here, God parts the Jordan River in a different way, but in the same end result, just like He did the Red Sea. That's not a common thing. Now, for you, and the way God's going to work in your life is not the same thing He's going to do in mine. But He wants to do something for you. But He's not going to do it. He says here, this is it's conditional promise. You must sanctify yourself. I have my mom's, one of my mom's Bibles. It's the Bible that uh, she brought to church with her here. And occasionally that I like to just read her Bible. And uh, when I do funerals, sometimes some of you, I've done one of your relatives' funerals. I said, do you have your dad or mom's Bible? Do you have your sister's Bible? Could I look at it? You know, a person's Bible says a lot about them, what they loved and the scriptures they loved. It's powerful. And I love to just read mom's Bible, see it was important to her. I told Paula last night, and she was reading, and I was reading through my mom's Bible, and I said, I see myself all through my mama's Bible. Quotes and sermons I'd preached and things that I'd said. And, you know, it's hard to be your mom's pastor. Do you know that? I, I don't think you're ever your mama's pastor. <laughs> but I saw times where I was her pastor. Just going through my mom's Bible. And I had a thought uh, Friday night. I was thinking about my spiritual birthday. And I always think about my parents because they put me in a position where I could know the Lord. And I thought, I wonder what my mom said about if she wrote anything in Joshua about this verse I'm going to preach on. And she did. And I took a picture of it. I want you to see that if you show that up there. Can you see that? Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Mom said, God does this for me too. God does this for me too. And I thought about her that God used my my mom who was a common lady. But he used her in a very uncommon way. And until the day she died... She was serving. She went to the hospital on Sunday night. On Monday, she was going to Costco to buy things on her Social Security income for for the kids' club. And she attended a baby shower. She was 81 years old. That afternoon, a baby shower for somebody in our church. I don't mean this to scold. God knows my heart. Please don't take it this way. I don't. But I wonder how many of our people, they just don't go. Well, I don't know them. I don't know them. My mom, my mom gave her life to God, and she just said, I, I'm going to help people. And she just showed up for stuff. Not because, well, I love the church. She loved Jesus, and she loved people. I sent Daniel a picture where she came to a banquet that Landon had. It was Leslie, Daniel, and Landon. That's it. And my mom. And she came. And I found out and I sent him a picture. And I should have showed it to you. And he sent me a picture the other day and he said, I... I haven't ever showed this to anybody. He said, this was during choir practice. He took it up here 
And you know how it was early in choir practice. Nobody was in the auditorium. Right back there where Kevin is seated on the very back row. Right back there. My mom, I showed it to Paula, was seated right here in intense conversation with Landon. Investing in Landon. Well, I, I'm just old. I, I don't connect with other people. You could. You could. You could. You could if you consecrated yourself. I, I'm not trying to scold you. God's not going to use you in an uncommon way if you're selfish. God's not going to use you in an uncommon way until you get outside of yourself and you say, God, I don't have much, but what I give, I give it to you. I read this wonderful story that J. Wilbur Chapman, evangelist, was meeting with General William Booth, who was founded the Salvation Army. And God used William Booth and his wife to do some wonderful things with that organization when it was evangelistic. And and he asked William Booth, he said, what is the secret of your success? How did God do this through your life? And this is what William Booth told J. Wilbur Chapman. Listen to this. Chapman said, after some hesitation, tears came to Booth's eyes. And he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth. And then J. Wilbur Chapman went on and said this. He said, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is a measure of his surrender. Well, that struck me. That, that, that's powerful. It's not how smart you are. I, I told our, our folks Wednesday night, when, and I think it's in Acts 4, maybe Acts 5, when they looked at the disciples, they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Not where they went to school. But they had been with Jesus. God can do uncommon things with and for people when they are consecrated to Him. He gets the glory that way. Sanctify yourself. When God was about to give the Ten Commandments, He told Moses, He said, I want the people to sanctify. The the law is going to be holy. Romans 7, the law is holy. I want the people, before I do this, I want them to sanctify themselves. And it's very similar to what happened uh, to to, um, Joshua when he told the people, He said, I want you to sanctify yourselves. Well, what, what did that mean? Well, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 14. Moses went down from the mount, this is Mount Sinai, unto the people, and he sanctified the people. Watch this. They washed their clothes. This is an external evidence of an internal attitude. By the way, water was very rare then. It was, it was, it was a luxury. They washed their clothes. He said unto the people, Be ready, against, be prepared against the third day, and come not at your wives. Here's what he was saying. I want you to take a bath, clean your clothes. And this is reflected in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're married, I want you to withhold from marital intimacy. This is the idea. So you can focus on God. Sin in the Bible is pictured as defilement. And so externally they were saying to God, this is a picture of my heart. Not literally. You can do this and not be sincere about it. But, Lord, I want to be clean as I am on the outside, on the inside. And these clothes that are fresh and clean, this is how fresh I want to be before you with a new beginning. Jacob got away from God. He got backslidden. And God said, I want you to go back to Bethel. There's an old gospel song written about that, getting back to Bethel, which is getting back to being right with God. And in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. 
and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, he was very wealthy now, and to all them that were with him, look at this, put away the strange gods that are among you, or repent and be clean. Look at this. Be clean, take a bath, change your garments. Let us arise, go up to Bethel. I will make there an altar unto God. It's the same idea of of repentance that has external ramifications. Reformation is just the external without the internal. All internal repentance will be seen externally. And this is just a way of saying to God, God, I, I really mean this. When David had sinned in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he was confronted by his friend Nathan in 2 Samuel 12. It's interesting that when, later when David had a son, he named, him, he named one of his boys Nathan. Isn't that interesting? Nathan means gift of God. And, and the son that, that Bathsheba was carrying from, from that relationship, that illicit relationship that they had, that baby died. And David has now repented, and he's in grief and sorrow before the Lord. Watch this. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 20, he's confessed his sin and repented. David arose from the earth, washed, took a bath. He anointed himself. He got cleaned up. He changed his apparel. You see this theme and, and, and I think this is what he, Joshua, when he's saying, I, I want you to sanctify yourself. It's not just some, some, something he said. It, it has consequences. It's a focus. And he came into the house of the Lord. And the Bible says he worshipped. The external mirrored his internal attitude and his spirit. Consecration is vital It's important. It's setting myself apart unto God for a specific purpose. This one one touches my heart. When Moses gathered the priests together and and God told Moses, he said, I I want these priests, this Levitical tribe to, to be set apart for a purpose. And notice this in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 30, he told Moses, And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons. Now watch this. And consecrate them. Consecrate them. That they may minister unto me in the priest's office. They're dedicated for that. They're they're sanctified. They're, They're consecrated. Them and their descendants. They've been set apart for a special purpose. The word consecrate means to empty my hands and to fill God's hands. I'm releasing something and filling God's hands with my future. I'm releasing my hands with my body and giving it to God. I'm releasing God's hands with my future, my plans, my schedule, and giving it to God. I'm releasing God's hands with my trial and my situation, maybe your situation, with your illness. And I'm giving that to God. I, I, God, I, I'm releasing this and I'm giving it to you. Have, have you ever sanctified yourself? Have you ever consecrated yourself? This is huge. When Samuel came to, to anoint David to be the king, he came to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a little country town. I've been there about five miles from Jerusalem. And, and the prophet never came there. Samuel was a prophet. And they thought they were in trouble. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 4, Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. What in the world is he coming here for? Comest thou peaceably? Are, are you coming here in judgment? What have we done? And Samuel said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. And he said, sanctify yourselves. And and it's reflective in what we've read in these other passages. You need to clean up. I want you to examine your hearts. And as you are holy, some of you need to to clean up externally to reflect what is going on inside. And come with me to the sacrifice. And look at this. Look, This is David's father. 
And Samuel sanctified Jesse and his sons, which one of them was David, and called them to the sacrifice. Have you ever responded to God's call, not just to be saved, but to consecrate yourself, to devote yourself fully to God? Let me give you a couple of ideas. I'll just give you the first one. Three aspects of consecration and sanctification. First of all, we sanctify ourselves because of who God is and with His help. You can't do this on your own. Because there's something in you that doesn't want to turn loose. You want to hold on. I I don't want to let go. I'm afraid if I give him my schedule, I'm afraid if I, if I begin to tithe, then I won't have enough left over. I, I, I want to know what this is going to be like. I'm afraid for if, if I let God tell me we're going to go to school, if I, I think God may want me to, to preach, he may want me to be a missionary, he may want me to fill in the blank. I'm afraid to let, to let that go because I don't know what it looks like. Well, I got news for you. You don't know what it looks like. And that's what he delights in. That's what faith is. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. When you walk by sight, you're not walking by faith. God delights in people that walk by faith. You sanctify yourself. He is holy. He's unique. He's different because of who he is. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7 says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Now, notice again, it's that same thing in Joshua chapter 3. He says, sanctify yourselves. Now, why should you do that? Because God says, I'm holy. You need to sanctify yourselves because of who I am. For I am holy. I am the Lord your God. Dedicate, consecrate, purify yourselves. For I am Pure, I am sacred, I am different. And you cannot do this on your own. You're supposed to do it, but God will give you grace. But He can't make you willing. He can make you where you want to be willing. But that's up to you. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7, For God hath not called us, the word called, unto uncleanness, but unto Holiness, the calling of every believer is to sanctification unto holiness. This is, this is my calling. Don't let that word holiness scare you. Some people have abused it. You know, the Old Testament is used in the book of Psalms a number of times in Chronicles. It talks about the beauty of holiness. You ever known someone that talked about holiness and they never smiled? You ever known someone that talked about holiness and, and you said, I, I don't want to be like them. They, they don't have any love. They're not gracious. They're, I, I don't want to be, if God's like that, I don't even want to be saved. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. I like what Adrian Rogers said. said he said in the Ten Commandments and, and the other parts of God's law, when God said, thou shalt not, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. When he's saying, thou shalt, he's saying, help yourself. God is concerned for your good and His glory. God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. As He which hath called you, 1 Peter 1.15, As He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's your, your, all of your life, everything you do, your attitude, your disposition. Because it is written, be ye holy. And there it is again. For I am holy. I want you to reflect my character. There's a verse that I I want you to look at Hebrews 12 real quickly. And then I want to give you one other verse to look at. But look at Hebrews chapter 12 that I contemplated this morning in preparing and praying over this. This is the purpose of chastening. God will chasten His children. He always does. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, notice in verse 8, Hebrews 12, 8. I want you to see this. I, I didn't give this verse to the guys. You have to look it up. 
Hebrews 12, 8, the Bible says, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all, all are partakers. Chastening, the word there means child training. God doesn't chase you to punish you. It has a purpose. He chastens you because he loves you. My little green kids are, you know, we've taken care of this in most open places, but if they're fooling around with an open place where, where they can get electrocuted with an outlet, if I'm, no, no, don't touch. I, I am not their enemy. I'm their friend. I'm saving their life. That's an act of love. It's not, I'm not doing that to punish them because I'm in a bad mood. Then are you bastards? You're, you're not. You're not a child. You're not God's child. You're not. You're not His son. You're not His daughter. You don't belong to Him. God chastens His own. There's a process there, conviction, of correction, and then He'll take you home. Verse nine. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. That's your earthly father, your, your earthly daddy, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. We respected them. Because the pain must be greater than the, than the action. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits? That's your heavenly Father. Look at the last two words there. And live. If you're not in subjection, if you do not humble yourself in the chastening, He will take your life. He will. I want you to see these next two verses. For they, verily for a few days... Our earthly fathers chastened us after their own pleasure. doesn't mean they enjoyed it. It just means that their own purposes. But He, God our Father, for our profit. Now here it is, that we might be partakers of His holiness. That, that we might honor Him, that we may be more like Him. Verse 11, no chastening for the present when you're going through it seemeth to be joyous. But grievous, it hurts. Nevertheless, afterwards, see, in the present, but later, it yields the peaceable fruit, and here it is, of righteousness and peace unto them which are exercised thereby. The exercise isn't any fun, but it's good for you. Now, if you see a brother or sister that's going through chasing, what do you do? Ah, there they are. They're getting what's coming to them. No, look at verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knee. He's talking about people going through chastening. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Let it rather be healed. Go help them, support them, strengthen them, love them. One day it will be you. And now I close with this in Titus chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I just want to hit this one time and I'm going on. Jesus died for everybody. There's a movement today that says Jesus didn't die for everybody. Jesus died for everybody. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us. So we learn, th- we learn some things. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live. So we're supposed to live some things soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So it's possible to do this. Learning, living, and then we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That, and the word that means in order that, this is a purpose clause. He died for us in order that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. That means His own people belonging to Him, zealous of good works. But I want you to notice the first phrase in verse 11, the grace of God. The only way you're able to live this way is through grace, not the arm of the flesh. You'll get grumpy, negative. Your attitude goes south. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It makes you humble. I uh, 
read a story years ago about a man that uh, was working on his ranch and he had one of these wells that you've seen them that they're, it's built up with a big circle and he had stones up and had a little uh, um, wooden overhang and then it had a rope that went down when well, it hadn't been used in a long time and he wanted to find out if there was any water down there. And he looked down, it was just dark. And so, you know, the rope was hanging down there, but he, he was trying to figure out there's a bucket and what all. And he started pulling and, and it hit some resistance. And he bent over and pulled it. Well, then he fell into the well. And he fell, and then all of a sudden, he just, with one last grab, he latched on to the rope and then twisted it around his arm. Of course, it hurt him. Just miraculously to, to hope to keep from being bashed against the rocks or whatever was down there drowning, he didn't know. And that rope burning enmeshed in his flesh, he began to scream and cry. Nobody heard him but the cows. Scream and cry for help. And it seemed his hours. And finally, as his arm grew numb and his back began to hurt, he said, I, I can't do this any longer. And he knew he was going to have to let go. And he began to unwind that rope. And he let go. And he fell six inches. And some of you, that's what you do with God. Oh, God, if, if, if I give this to you, it, uh, I don't want to do this. This is going to be the hardest thing. But in retrospect, in the years to come, you're going to look back and say, you know what? That was not only the best thing I ever did. It wasn't that difficult. Now, it may be, it may be a severe thing. But in my life, I've learned that story is pretty accurate. I don't mean it's always easy. There's some burning and some shouting, but it's not as bad as I made it. Whatever God had for me was better. Listen, sanctify, consecrate yourself. Tomorrow the Lord will do uncommon things for you. No matter how common you are, but He's not going to do that. Here's a conditional promise. You have to, you have to consecrate yourself. Should you bow your head with me if you would?